Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. I just sensed in the life of our church, those connected to us by technology on the radio, that you're going to hear this over and over. God has a word. He keeps repeating it over and over and over again for us. And that is, look up. Your redemption draws near. Jesus Christ promised to return, and his return can happen at any moment. And it is a key part of your spiritual growth. It's a key part of your spiritual holiness to love his appearing. Rest your hope upon the grace that will be revealed. To know that Jesus is returning, his appearing. Listen, when Jesus Christ returns, his appearing will change everything. This is amazing grace. Hey, welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Tanner, online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We're making our way through 1 Peter, which is God's encouragement and instruction for the difficult seasons of life. And we most certainly are in the midst of one here in this nation. Today, Pastor Ed encourages us to lift our eyes above the circumstances onto the coming of Jesus. It could very well be right around the corner. Open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse 13. And one of the great encouragements in tough times is the wonderful truth that Jesus is returning. To, as we learned recently, to love his appearing. And in Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, His anger, I'm reading from the New Living, His anger lasts only a moment, but His favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may endure through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And there's a joy that's going to come. The pains, the problems, the trials, the troubles, they'll be gone. They won't last forever. And that's the word that Pastor Peter is sharing to this troubled, scattered flock undergoing the greatest trial and about to endure the greatest trial that they've ever experienced. It, it didn't just go from trial to resolution. As like many of you, it went from trial to trial or from small trial to big trial or from difficulty to greater difficulty. And so here's what he says. Pick up where we left off in chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, and we learn, remember, this word, when it comes, it connects so we need to ask, what is it there for? And as we go back and look at the previous verses, we're reminded of the power of God. We're reminded of the purifying work of God. We're reminded of the inexpressible joy. We're reminded of the prophets that were looking into things. They were looking forward to things that you and I are experiencing. And because of that, he says, therefore, because of that, here's your response. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up. We don't use that phrase very much today. Gird up the loins of your mind. But it's a phrase that would speak of getting rid of the things that can tangle you up and cause you to fall. That's what the idea of gird up. This would be a very familiar illustration to the first century believers 
Because unlike you and me that wear pants and shorts, the apparel of the day were robes. Long flowing robes that instead of wearing pants and maybe even sweatpants or workout clothes, they would live in these robes in the hot, dusty, dry, arid desert. Having good airflow helped to keep men cool all throughout the day, especially in their work. But when they needed to run and when they needed to dig in to get to work, they would take their robes and they would bring them around and tuck them into their belts. They would literally gird up their robes and prepare them in such a way that would help them move better and faster and be more agile. In the New Living Translation, it translates this, not gird up the loins of your mind, but I like how they translate it, prepare your minds for action. And it's very important in trouble and trials and difficulty and warfare that you understand that the battle, the spiritual battle, is raging in your mind. Now, I'm not saying that it's not real. Don't misunderstand me. You know how sometimes like, oh, you're just making up in your mind. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, is that it is a battle for what you believe. Because what you believe will dictate how you behave. Your beliefs and your behavior are very intertwined. And so Peter says, in the midst of tough times, get rid of the things in your minds. Rid yourself in your mind that are making the situation worse. Can I just ask, is there anybody with a say of amen? Is there anybody in the house that have made things worse by their minds? Overthinking, extra fearful, anxiety-ridden. Oh, is there someone in the house that can take a little pebble and make it into a mountain? It's a battle for the mind. What you're thinking And the greatest thing you can do in the midst of trial and difficulty and trouble and overwhelming oppression is to get rid of the things in your mind that are going to make things worse. Paul would encourage us this way. He would say, your mind can interfere with who God would have you to be in this world. Your mind can interfere with, what, with who God would have you to be in this world. All your worries and fears and bitterness and anger, all are mind issues, which ultimately are heart issues, but they get weighed out in the mind. So what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4? For our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for what? Pulling down strongholds and listen, casting down arguments. Now, where do you argue? You argue in the mind. And the arguments go from your mind to your mouth. And you're fighting head to head. It's all about the mind. So you want to cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Because the battlefield is in the mind. Listen, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You need to memorize that. That's one of those verses need to be in your arsenal of your memory so the Holy Spirit can bring it back to you. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. You want to hide this truth in your heart so that you wouldn't sin against it. So much of the battle that we're in is just dealing with lies and arguments and all these high things that want to get you to think of God differently. Or think of your spouse differently. Or think of a person differently. Or to think of a situation differently than what God has already declared. 
even as today, we were encouraged in our prayer time as a church to choose to trust in the sovereignty of God. That all the things that have transpired in the last day or two or the last seven months have not given, have not taken God by surprise. He's not shocked by it all. We might be shocked by it all. We might be unsettled by it all. But what do we do with those feelings? We take them into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Those thoughts of what's going to happen and how, what's, how, what about here and what about there and what's God going to do and God has forgotten about me. No. No, we choose to trust in the sovereignty of God. Which reminds me that not only do we need to get our minds ready, but don't underestimate this little phrase, be sober. Do you see that in your verse 13? Circle it. You know what it means? Be sober. Be sober. That's another way to protect your mind so that you can be clear thinking. Don't be under the influence of something or someone that would cloud your thinking. Or another way of putting it, right now in the world in which we live, it's not party time. It's not party time. It's time to be ready and sober. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36 it says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Soberness, sobriety. It's very important. Let me just say, it's, sobriety is very important that for those of you that have a past in addiction. The success of your spiritual life will be directly related to your sobriety, to you learning to lean into the Lord in tough times and temptation, and not to be overcome and to, to bring in substances that I know that you think are going to help you get through the moment, but they're only going to get thing, make things worse. Soberness, to experience life in its reality. Even if it does cause weakness and fear, it, those are opportunities to trust, not to drink. Fear, anxiety are opportunities to trust, not to light up a joint. Or as I have shared, as I've shared previously, marijuana being legalized, it's a gateway drug. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care all the, how they want to spin it. It's a gateway drug. So that now... In Oregon, they just passed a law and they just voted for making methamphetamine and cocaine legal. You see, we live in an upside down world. Who, who, what kind of, what, what, what is that law going to do? Who's it going to hurt? It's going to hurt the people that started in the gateway and opened up that door. And it probably didn't even start with marijuana. It probably started with alcohol. Alcohol opened the gate and it opened the gate. And you just can't trust those in leadership to look out for you. You need to learn how to trust in the Lord. You need to learn how to cling to Him. These times of overwhelming fear and anxiety and your just mind is racing are opportunities to learn how to trust in the Lord. Sobriety means just that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned until he competes according to the rules. 
staying sober and committed, being watchful, upright. And again, the basic definition of sobriety is not intoxicated. So notice he says, gird up, get rid of, take care of your mind, be sober. And then look at thirdly, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I just sense in the life of our church, those connected to us by technology on the radio, that you're going to hear this over and over. God has a word. He keeps repeating it over and over and over again for us. And that is, look up. Your redemption draws near. Jesus Christ promised to return, and His return can happen in any moment. And it is a key part of your spiritual growth. It's a key part of your spiritual holiness to love His appearing. Rest your hope upon the grace that will be revealed. To know that Jesus is returning, His appearing. Listen, when Jesus Christ returns, His appearing will change everything. Everything will be changed. We cry out with that one-time word use. It's only used one time, but we cry out with that word maranatha, which means even so, come quickly. You think of all the things that you want changed in your life. You think of all the things that you want to see fulfilled. And his appearance will change it all. Until then, you rest your hope, not in man, but in the Lord, upon his grace. I wish we could do that. I wish we could do a better job of fixing and fastening our hope on His grace. Because a lot of us are discouraged. And a lot of you are discouraged because you haven't fixed your hope on the coming of the Lord, but you've fixed your hope on other things. You've fixed your hope on other people. You've fixed your hope on other situations and bank accounts. And even when you're let down, and even when you're disappointed, someone lets you, you, you go and you turn and you turn to someone else. And you turn to something else. And the Lord's trying to teach you, you need to fix our hope upon the Lord and His grace. It's not wise to look to institutions. It's not wise to look to our marriages or our parents or our kids to fix our hope on those things. Because they can and they will let you down and disappoint And so he says, fix your hope on the thing that will not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint, the Bible says. Fix your hope upon the grace that will be revealed. The grace of God. Let me show you this. Turn over to Titus now. Titus chapter 2. This is so beautiful because even grace can be misunderstood sometimes uh, as some kind of absolute freedom to do whatever you want. And just to live in rampant sin, you know, because like Paul said to the Romans, uh, should we continue in sin that grace would abound? And the answer is, absolutely not. Certainly not. And notice, grace teaches. Grace is a teacher. And as we place our hope upon grace, that grace will be revealed at the coming of the Lord. Listen to what the Bible says. Chapter 2 of Titus, verse 11. Chapter 2 of Titus, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, so what does grace teach us? That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live, there's that word again, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And here's the position, the posture, looking for the blessed hope 
and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right now, grace is teaching us to live a holy life looking for the return of the Lord. And now Peter's saying, Peter's saying, look, it's not just grace now, it's grace then. And a fuller revelation of grace, grace in human form, like the fullness of grace in Jesus Christ will be revealed at his coming. And that's part of what's going to get you through the tough time. Just think about it in a very simple way. All of the input and all of the information, all of the discussions, if they're not pointing us to the grace of God and his soon appearing, they're making things worse and more challenging. Like you're, you're worried about something and you're anxious and you go to a friend and that friend doesn't point you to the Lord, he's going to make it worse. It's going to be harder. If she doesn't remind you what the word of God says when it comes to anxiety, even if it's a hard word, anxiety is among us. And there's a difficult word in the Bible for, for the anxious. I've memorized it because I need the Holy Spirit to bring that back to me. Of all the times that anxiety wants to grip my mind and worry and fear and all. The Bible says this. Here's a hard word. Be anxious for nothing. And then those that are anxious, well, you don't understand. That's, that's impossible. That's not very nice, Pastor. Why would you tell me not to be anxious? No, I'm just, I'm knowing that the Holy Spirit can use that truth in your life. Be anxious for nothing. And instead of anxiety, do what? But in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request be made known to God. So what is he basically saying? He's saying, take your anxiety to the Lord. Remember, he's in control of your life. Remember that those emotions that you're having are arguments against the knowledge of God. You're going to learn how to cast down those things. By going to God first. That's really what, you take the command, you go, oh, I can't, I can't believe it, be anxious for nothing. No, he's saying, look, when you're anxious, take it to the Lord. And when you go to him, talk to him about it. Peter would say it later, as we'll see, casting all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. And so come to him in prayer. Come to him in, in supplication. The idea of supplication is requests and help. And then come to him with thanksgiving. Because even wrapped up with all, that, all the anxiety and worry you're having, it's clouding you from the goodness of God. You're failing to see anything to be thankful for. He says, come to him, be thankful. In all things, by prayer and supplication, make your requests. So go ahead and give him the requests. Bring those requests to the Lord and the promise. So you've got to get through the command, and then comes the promise. And what's the promise? The peace of God. Isn't that what you're looking for? In times of anxiety and worry, don't you wish? Don't you feel robbed of your peace? Are you troubled and confused? Isn't that what drives some of you to the bottle? You're troubled and confused. You go back to smoking pot. You go back to cocaine. You go back to methamphetamines. You go back to your pain medication you were prescribed. Why? Because you're so anxious and you're so confused and you're so overwhelmed that... You're looking for a way out, but the Bible already says, don't do that. Stay sober. You're anxious today? Don't be anxious. What do you mean? Hey, take all your cares and concerns to God. Pray and talk to Him. Ask Him to remove the worry. Ask Him to remind you of your faithfulness. Ask Him to remind you of a place in the Scriptures that you would see 
Man, that, you know, like Nehemiah chapter 4, what a great time for anxiety. But God sent them a leader to get their eyes back on the Lord. Don't be afraid. Let's get back to work. Yeah, but the enemies, the enemies, you'll see later and you will read it later and uh, for homework tonight perhaps before you go to sleep or maybe later this week, you can read it and you can see that even within the people of God, the people of Judah, 10 times they kept, oh, you don't know, they're, they're, you don't understand Nehemiah, they're going to come after us, they're going to, 10 times from your own people, no, you don't know how bad it is, how bad it, and 10 times you have to think, Nehemiah's going, calm down, man, calm down, let's pray, let's seek the Lord, get back to building, everything's going to be all right. And the peace of God, the Bible says, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus like no other. Peter's writing to this struggling group of people and he's reminding them, don't put your hope in man. Don't put your hope that Nero is going to change his mind. Get your eyes on the Lord. You might experience the worst of the worst, but the worst of the worst is the best of the best as you'll be in the presence of Jesus. And what man can do to the body, can't, man can't touch the soul. Peter's writing to this group who continues to live in the biggest trial of their lives. And when you're living in a big trial, you begin to appreciate the coming of the Lord all the more. When you're faced with things are being just, you're being stripped of everything you've ever held on to, you begin to hope on the coming of the Lord. You begin to cry out for it. it. You might even begin to feel like Paul did. And by the way, that passage in Philippians is in Philippians chapter 3. And you might begin to feel like Paul earlier in Philippians where he says, you know, I, I have a desire to depart and be with the Lord. I just, this is where I'm at. I just want to be with the Lord. <laughs> this is it. I'm not so interested in this anymore and that anymore. When you're in a big trial, everything starts to become zeroed in. Like you begin to be laser focused on the Lord in your life or you begin to be laser focused on yourself. So which will it be for you? Will you be laser focused on self or the Lord in tough times like these? Something to think about as we close things out today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Pastor Ed, as you were encouraging our listeners to fix their hope on the return of Christ, does it appear to you that we're getting very close to the rapture and return? Oh, Larry, it does appear that we're getting very close to the rapture of the church, the return of the Lord. And so be ready. Be ready. You know, the Bible talks about the blessed hope of the return of Christ. It is a blessed hope. It is a purifying hope. It brings great encouragement, but it also brings a little tension, doesn't it? Because on the one hand, our heart is, oh, even so, Lord, come quickly. And on the other hand, uh, it's like, but, but Lord, uh, I, my, my, I'm praying for my brother. I'm praying for my sister. I'm praying for my family. And so, you know, the days, it, you can open your eyes. We teach through the Bible, verse by verse, prophecies being fulfilled right before our eyes. Uh, but that should only move and motivate us, not to protect that which is that our comfort and ease, but it should move and motivate us uh, to move forward in the things of God and reach those with the love of Christ and occupy, like the old King James says, occupy till I come. 
Thanks, Pastor Ed. And friend, if you'd like to hear this message again, it's easy to do at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And they're also accessible through our app as well. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play and look for us on Apple Podcasts. Well, here in the month of December, we picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy and get a lot out of. It would even make a great Christmas gift. It's called The Case for Christmas. So who was in the manger that first Christmas morning? Not everyone agrees on the answer to that. If he was the divine son of God, how do you know for sure? Well, Lee Strobel investigates in The Case for Christmas, and we'll send it to you when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more today. Please make your request by phone at 877-30-GRACE or order it online at calvaryco.store. Also remember that it's through your support that we're able to bring Abounding Grace to your radio station every day. With your help, countless thousands of people are hearing the truth of God's Word all over the nation and world at a time in human history where they really need to hear it, too. We can be reached toll-free at 877-30-GRACE, or you can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Well, we're glad you've taken time out for our study in First Peter, and we'll pick up where we left off next time we get together on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.